everybody, and thanks for joining our weekly podcast. I'm Robin Lewis, founder and CEO of The Robin Report, uh, which, by the way, is really much more than a daily report. We view it as a, a knowledge platform, okay, from, from which we communicate thought leadership on various strategic topics uh, through the reports, also these podcasts, and webinars, and hopefully live events once uh, COVID is gone for good. So along with our chief strategist, Shelley Cohan, who by the way is also a professor at FIT and Syracuse University, we welcome you to our discussion of the, on the topic of the e-com spinoff debate. And before we dig into this debate, I'm, I, I wanna give a little context here. Um, which most of you know, Richard Baker, who is executive chairman of HPC, uh, which includes Sachs, he really kicked off the idea here. And um, that by separating the e-com business and the brick and mortar business, it would quote, unquote, unlock value, essentially increasing the market value. And we're having this podcast because now there are active activist moves uh, to nudge Kohl's to do the same thing, as well as Macy's and Nordstrom's uh, have been having conversations about this strategy. And by the way, regarding Sachs unlocking value, sure enough, Insight Partners, a venture capital and a PE firm, invested $500 million in the Sachs e-commerce business, valuing it at $2 billion. So with Insight's investment, uh, really it's suggesting a future run on an IPO. Uh, one could say that this move is indirectly unlocking value, ostensibly by increasing the value of the two separate parts that when combined together will be higher than the integrated whole. About the move, Baker said, this is just early days for online shopping, especially luxury. There is an opportunity for luxury to triple its size online. No one really knows how retailing is going to play out. With this move, we are redefining the shopping ecosystem. The transaction with Insight Partners reinforces HBC's ability to unlock significant value within our company's assets. Oh, I go back to thinking about Eddie Lampert unlocking value at Sears. Right. <laughs> he, he, right. He, he managed whatever value it had, he managed it down over the past 20 years. Anyway, whenever I hear unlock, we're going to unlock value, I get very nervous. Anyway, okay, unlocking value uh, uh, in, the, in, in changing the entire retail ecosystem, Mr. Baker, I say maybe. I said in an article I wrote at the time, maybe. But retailers more successful than any of Mr. Baker's properties, <laughs> Reed Target, Walmart, Nordstrom, and even Amazon, who is accelerating in its brick and mortar expansion, 
All of these guys know, quote, how retail is going to play out because they are charting their own futures, constantly led by consumers who are calling the shots and don't they always. In fact, everybody in the industry whose heads have not been stuck in the sand know that success in the future depends on a seamless and totally integrated store and online business as one holistic ecosystem. And Shelly, you know, you also contributed to that article. And and since you are a highly ranked expert in the industry, and as an alum of SACS, having been vice president of operations during the mid-2000s, you said, in my opinion, and and Shelly, jump in if if I misquote you, and, and you said, in my opinion, the demise of Lord and Taylor and Sachs slow to no growth performance, other than spiffing up the Sachs Fifth Avenue flagship. This is now exacerbated by splitting up the brick and mortar and online businesses. This is not a good omen for success. And if there is one thing we have learned since the boom of e-com, is that the business should be run holistically and not siloed. So, I don't know, Shelly, since you've been on the ground, so to speak, and with your professional experience in retailing, what are the complexities in actually and tactically implementing the spinoff model? (laughs) There's a metaphor. Is it like replacing the engines in an airplane while in flight? I think that I think that's actually a great analogy, Robin. Um, well, I think having to spin off two companies with the size and complexities of a department store, so a business like Macy's, Kohl's, Saks, Nordstrom, it's no easy feat for sure. And in a recent Cowan report by Oliver Chen, um, he noted about Macy's splitting off its e-com from its store business. You know, there's hundreds of service agreements that would need to be made between the two companies. There are challenges that would need to be overcome working through a cross-channel supply chain. And of course, inventory management across two companies is very cumbersome. Cost sharing between companies, charges back and forth between the companies, and on and on and on. It's a big risk if the ultimate end goal is to create this seamless experience on the customer end. There are all these infrastructural changes behind the scenes that will result in a less than seamless experience on the front end throughout the shopping journey. And not to mention, there's a huge risk to adding uh, inventory and fulfillment costs. So we have to think also about the loss of customers during transition and how how are they going to get those customers back if, big if, the two companies are able to run cross synergistically. So, and keep in mind, Robin, that the valuations, you know, the quote unquote valuations that we've seen from a split company are based on projected e-com sales lifts. So for example, in the Macy's report from Cowan, it shows having a 67% increase in e-com sales for fiscal year 2023 as compared to 2019. So, in other words, 35% more than e-com sales in 2020. I think it's a tall order to expect to grow this much in physical 2023. 
with any of the analysis, and, and if you read the full Cowan report, it actually leans towards not separating out the e-com business, at least for Macy's. Yeah. Um, you know, on, and on a personal note, I appreciate Macy's and all the things that Jeff Gannett is doing. And remember, Robin, I also spent 17 years at that company as well. But I have to say, you know, Macy's has really never been the leader in terms of e-com. So to split out this business and run it as a separate division, it makes it, I think, more difficult to run it seamlessly. And as you know, any department store business in the past decade has had a difficult time creating this seamless experience across all channels with the customer. It's just such a complex legacy model especially stores have an easier time of it for sure. Right. And e-com businesses are not typically profitable. And we have many examples of this as well. So if you take this more complicated business model, like a department store that rely on a broad variety of vendors, brands across many categories of business, you take this linear supply chain and the operational side of the business, including delivery, logistics, packaging, reverse logistics, right. You know, the profit margins are thin. Yep, yep. Well, you know, Shelly, you mentioned Macy's. And uh, in fact, Jeff Kinnett is on record as indicating that he is really not in favor of that model. And um, <clears throat> I, we haven't really heard from Michelle Goss, CEO of Kohl's yet, but uh, I have, you know, had a chance to meet with her and talk to her kind of, and I, I, I don't, with the the strategies that she is rolling out, uh, which are really centered on, on, on bringing new brands into that store and making a, a better experience and so on and so forth. I don't see her making the decision to go this route either, but that's conjecture there. Anyway, you know, you said the, the magic word really, Shelley, about this whole thing. And the magic word is a consumer, right? Yeah, you pointed to the many complexities of the multi-branded department stores. And even if they were able to implement the spinoff, uh, the consumer doesn't know about all of this or and they don't even care about those challenges. And if just one additional pain point occurs, that consumer is not going to excuse the retailer. They're out the door, they go across the street to a competitor who continues to perfect uh, the omni-channel model. So I don't know, Shelley, can you take us through uh, some of the numbers that Cowan reported? Sure. So the Cowan analysis shows, again, for fiscal 23 for e-com, Macy's is projected to hit $10.4 billion. That's the 67% higher than 2019 and 35% higher than 2020. Wow. While one could argue that the investments in digital through the separation of the two businesses could drive that type of increase. We just haven't seen this type of growth. And even during the height of the pandemic, Econ for Macy's grew 44%. Right. And in 2019, the growth was 25%. According to the analysis, physical store growth would actually drop in the scenario that Cowan presented in their analysis by 22%. So, I mean, yes, the company could sell a big chunk of the e-com operations, move for an IPO, then use the money to buy back stock, pay down debt, right. invest in dot-com. Um, you get fresh capital, a chance to invest in high growth digital business, money to hire new people. You can right. business um, and you can still invest in, 
you know, the slower growth of the store business. Um, you don't have to neglect it. And that's all true. But I'm wondering with any department store business that is thinking about these spinoffs, you could hire talent now. You could focus the business on digital marketing initiatives now. And if I were in department store land, I would be more apt to invest in converting the stale linear supply chain into a supply chain network. Like you wrote in your book, and you've been saying for a long time, it's the distribution century. So creating this more complex model of running physical and e-com separately, requiring higher levels of collaboration, cross-functional synergies, just doesn't make sense. It just is not serving the needs of the customers. It seems to be serving the needs of the shareholders. Yeah, yeah. Those are all really great points, Shelley. Um, But, you know, I have a question and actually an opinion at the same time, um, which I'm not short of. Uh, First of all, in my opinion, I go with the omnichannel model, okay? The seamlessly integrated holistic model. In my opinion, it's the only winning model for the future. And as I always stand, the activists, the PE guys and the other investors, you know, they may say they aren't, but they're really short-termers. You know, and a lot of them, probably most of them don't really understand the guts of the retail business, a lot of the stuff that you just laid out, they, they, what, they're, what they're in for, they tend to urge taking the big money, right, as quickly as possible. And we see that time and time again. And my question is, if Sachs and Coles and others are able to implement the spinoff, long-term, doesn't such a move assume that the online meteoric growth during the pandemic, does it assume that it will continue at the same rate going forward? I mean, you threw some numbers out there. Those would be big assumptions. So question, another question, wasn't the huge online bump a one-off opportunity made possible by a one-time unprecedented pandemic, (laughs) which resulted in an unprecedented shift to buying online? And does it assume that the consumers who went online during the pandemic won't return to the stores? You know, and you, you kind of said it, Shelley, that, that um, I think, you know, why don't they start investing now in marketing uh, to a much larger degree um, to, to, to make all of that distribution easier and quicker for the consumer, you know, and better? So, you know, you think about Richard Baker. Was it that he saw this model and its possibility more quickly than most because he views the Sachs enterprise not as a retail business, but as a real estate business? Because that is where uh, Richard Baker brilliantly has made his billions. I mean, he, he knows real estate. So he wants to pump up the total valuation, which in turn will increase the value of the real, real estate as well. Yeah. So, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, I was, I was just going to go back and uh, let me just touch on 
you know, you said, you know, about this e-com growth. Let me just throw some numbers out at you. So this non-store growth, so this e-com and non-store growth, since the pandemic, overall sales for e-com rain, used to range in 2019, uh, non-store sales were 12% of total retail sales. During the height of the pandemic in 2020, it went up to 15%. Okay, so it was 12% of total sales went up to 15%. When you look at this year, kind of coming out of the pandemic, people are still a little worried, probably shopping more online. Um, The range month over month throughout 2021 has been between 13 and 15%. So January and February, 15% of total retail sales was uh, e-commerce or non-store. But since February, so March, April, May, June, you know, those sales are now between 13 and 13.8%. So we've seen a little tail off on some of that online purchasing. Yeah. And, you know, we have to look at apparel uh, somewhat differently because it is a different business, but e-com from apparel ranged about 27% of all apparel sales in 2018 went up to 30% in 2019. So 27% of all apparel sales were online. That went up to 30% in 2019. During the pandemic, it went up to 46%. So 46% of apparel sales were online. But keep in mind, Robin, all the apparel stores were shut down. So it's, it's important to note that, you know, while apparel increased, you know, 22% year over year, in 2020 compared to 2019, total e-com was up 32%. So apparel still lagged behind. And there's reason for that, you know, with the shift of uh, consumers buying different categories. But, you know, when the pandemic shut down the non-essentials, which were most of apparel, accessories, shoes, and department stores, that's in that category, of course, the online business skyrocketed. But I have to agree with you, Robin, in that the customers like immediate gratification and socialization. It's part of our American culture to go shopping. You know, browsing online just doesn't provide the same experience as going to stores. So these projections of sales on the e-com side should should be done cautiously. And while there are some brands like Levi and Nike that can sell a specific category, to their client base that would do well online. So for example, for women, once you know your size of gene and the brand you like, you know that's an easy replenishment, convenient online ordering. But for the fashion apparel brands that are selling you know, looks or styles or have a broad category of products, customers like to come in and shop in the stores. The last thing I'll mention, go ahead. <laughs> no, I was just gonna comment, but go ahead, you go ahead. The last thing I'll mention is when we look at these general merchandise business segments. So general merchandise business business segment in the U.S. includes department stores, discount stores, warehouse clubs. The market has been shifting over time. So the department store sector has been losing market share to the discount store sector. So if you go back to 2015, department stores were 24% of the general merchandise category segment. And by 2021, there'll be 16%. So there's a tremendous drop in how much business the department stores are contributing to general merchandise segment. And as discount stores are taking more of the market share away. So discount stores like Walmart, Target, warehouse clubs like Costco's, BJ's, 
they're dominating more of the total market. So while, while the pandemic accelerated this a little bit in terms of essential versus non-essential, and a lot of the Walmarts and the Targets and the BJs were essential, um, if you look over time and you go from 2015 to now, this shift has been slowly moving away from department stores. So again, if I were a department store executive, I would be making investments in supply chain and I would not be distracting, spinning off the e-com business, which is a big risk. And by the way, Robin, discount store sector has spent the last five years building a sustainable supply chain network. Yep, yep. Boy, that's a big one. Yeah, and, and they really have. I mean, department stores, well, they've been losing share of the total market, particularly in apparel and so forth for many, many years. And a lot of that share uh, they're losing to the mono brand people like Nike, like Levi, going DTC, direct to consumer. And uh, that's just going to continue to increase. And that's why <laughs> uh, smart people like... Uh, Michelle Goss and, and, and uh, Jeff is beginning to do this, Nordstrom. They are, that's, that's what's causing the phenomenon that we, we have had podcasts on before, this idea of sharing their platforms with these strong mono brands. It's like Ulta going to Target, Sephora to Kohl's, and of course, there are many, many others, Amazon and Kohl's, et cetera. So, um, you are so right in terms of they got to be spending their money and investing in uh, getting their supply chain and their distribution ecosystem really perfected. Um, and um, it, it should not be disrupted, dis distracted. So um, I know we kind of need to wrap this up, Shelley, but one last question or maybe a statement um, in speaking of the future of retailing, who's ultimately going to shape it. And always, always, always the consumer. I find myself getting bored with myself saying it. So, you know, but since they are the final, most important link in the value chain, how does this spinoff strategy benefit the consumer? And my answer, I don't see it. And since the risks of a poor implementation, uh, which you so, so greatly you know, laid out, um, the risk of that poor implementation and doing it are many and very, very complicated. So back to the changing an airplane engine in flight metaphor, I think it's a crash strategy. And by the way, I am sure that's why the Cowan report was, um, uh, was not necessarily hinting, even hinting that this is a great strategy because, and they, they, really do concentrate on this industry and they do a great job of it. So they really do. And, you know, honestly, Robin, for companies that truly put the customer at the center of the equation with every single decision, they're thinking about how this is going to impact the customer. I doubt any of those companies would rally for a separation of physical stores and e-com. If retailers and brands haven't learned anything over the past decade, like you said, the customer will dictate what re retailers will do. You know, long ago, designers and retailers informed customers what was hot, what was trend, what to buy, but those days are long over. This will hold true for how they shop. If they feel kinks in the armor 
and the shopping journey, which they will feel with this segregated model, they will simply go elsewhere. Oh boy. Amen, Shelly. <laughs> and, and let me just add one other thing, and I, I promise I'll stop. We didn't even cover some of the non-financial, non-operational issues with splitting the businesses, including CEO strategies that are different, different cultures of two different companies, different management structures, uh, structures rather. All of this is going to impact cross-functional synergies, collaborations across company lines. It's going to impact the speed of innovation, which is critical in a digital environment. And it's also going to impact the customer experience and the employee culture. We didn't even touch on any of that. Wow. And that would be another two podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. <laughs> yeah, I know. Very good, Shelly. You laid out uh, this thing very, very well. So, so um, I guess that's it. As I said, amen. Yeah. Well, for our listeners, you can find more of our podcast on Apple, Spotify, Buzzsprout, and therobinreport.com. And please follow us on social media, link in with us, and follow us on Twitter for the latest thoughts about the industry. And I just want to thank you guys again for joining us. And uh, as I say every uh, Friday, um, if you've got topics that you've been thinking about that you think are very important, and there's a lot of them out there, uh, just uh, uh, email me and uh, at, at robin at therobinreport.com. And we'll see if we can't uh, put something together. Thank you very much. Thank you.